and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their lives changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, uh, an unbelievably, incredibly accomplished actor, and also the original roadie for the Cro-Mags. That's right, Brooke Smith is on the show today. You might know Brooke from... Grey's Anatomy, you might know her from Weeds, you might know her from Sounds of the Lamb. She has been in tons of things, but also probably saw, you know, some of the most impressive New York Harker shows ever. But we will get to talk about that in one second. First, if you would like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is where my, my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire, but today, John Ross Bowie, alumni of the show, and we'll talk about his brand new amazing podcast in a second, but he hit me up and he, this one, I got to give credit where it's due. I love you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for the show. But today, John, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and Tristan will get the message to me. John won't get the message to me. Tristan will. And uh, we can communicate that way. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that we do this podcast here and you enjoy it and, you know, just spread the word that way. Or you can subscribe to it and rate it on iTunes. And thank you very much to the people that do do that. I very much appreciate it. Or you can head over to patreon.com slash turned out of punk and check out some of the stuff we do over there. Video versions of some of the episodes of the podcast, unreleased uh, episodes, lost episodes, live episodes, all sorts of things are over there. Footnotes, of course, as well. Uh, so please check out uh, Patreon. And uh, speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came over a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do, but just don't do it out of your own pocket and help me cover the cost of this thing. So thank you very much to Vans and thank you to everyone at Patreon for helping this thing stay afloat. Also, uh, uh, the band I play in Fucked Up will be going on tour coming up in a few weeks. We're going to be playing with the band Faith No More. Uh, you know, get yourself vaxxed, wear a mask, and come out to those shows and, and you know, hang out. It should be fun. Uh, we will also then hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, be going on tour in January on the East Coast and then the West Coast, I believe. I don't think that's been announced yet, but we're, <laughs> we're going to be coming to the West Coast. And then going to Europe, uh, or at least the UK, and Ireland, and Scotland, I believe on that tour. Anyway, we've got some shows lined up. Check out fuckedup.cc for all the details. We also have Year of the Horse coming out on vinyl on Tank Crimes Records. You can pre-order that there. It's an hour and a half long song. Uh, as well as, uh, uh, oh yeah, David Comes to Life being reissued by Matador. So check that stuff out uh, where you order those records from, those labels, and get tickets to those shows. And uh, I'll see you there. I, I'm very excited. Oh, very excited to get to play shows again. I got a taste of it a couple weeks ago with that Dancer Junior thing, and now I'm uh, I'm amped. I'm ready to get back in there. All right. On to today's show. Today on the show, as I mentioned off the top, an incredible guest, Brooke Smith, is on the show today. And now, I was unaware of Brooke's. Obviously, I was a, a fan of Brooke on various things she's done over the years in TV and film, but I had no idea about the punk connection. Even though Double Cross did interview her uh, years ago when she did this photography exhibit of some of her photos. We talk a little bit about this photo stuff in the episode. Believe me, it's incredible. Uh, but I was completely unaware about this. And then my buddy, our friend, friend of the show, John Ross Bowie, hit me up and said, I just interviewed Brooke Smith and you got to have her on the show because it, it's incredible. It'll blow your mind, the stuff she saw and the stuff she was into. And so it did. This is a good one. This is one of those ones that, uh, yeah, I had no idea what to expect going in. And my gosh, did Brooke uh, do some cool stuff. Uh, she's got a book coming out. She mentions it a little bit. I'll let her talk about more of that uh, in the episode. Hey, I'm not going to ramble on. There's not. There's so much stuff uh, for you to hear in the episode that I'm going to let get to that in a second. But check out Household Faces, John Ross Bowie's new podcast. He's got Martha Plimpton on. And it's an incredible episode. He's interviewing character actors and and just kind of getting to the, I don't know, just having really in-depth conversations with fellow actors. And it's a fantastic podcast. I strongly recommend it. And uh, that's it. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Here is the great 
Brooke Smith on Turned Out a Punk. Brooke, thank you so much for coming on this show. Oh, yeah, please. Thanks for having me. Well, when John Ross Bowie told me that you were a New York hardcore kid, all of a sudden, like, as I told you off air, I feel... I feel like I've betrayed the listeners because this is the type of thing that I should know. I cannot believe I didn't know. And then, of course, finding out about you having this photography exhibit of all these incredible photographs a few years ago. And then the, also the fact that hopefully a book is still in the works, I believe. It is. My God, I've got to finish it. It's really I think it's my fault. Um, so I don't know. I've written the foreword. I have a couple friends writing other things. All the photos are selected and placed. I'm hoping to get it done this year. Well, so. well, not to heap on to that pressure pile, but uh, I cannot wait. I okay. cannot wait for this book to come out because yeah. a lot of people, you know, like are obviously, you know, familiar with punk rock or definitely like maybe even familiar with hardcore, but you are, you are in it and you are in one of the most fascinating parts of all of the hardcore universe, which is late mid eighties, New York hardcore, which is, which I'm, obsessed with but i gotta start this off the way they all start off which is brooke how did you get into punk do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre oh my god well we used to listen to fmu radio mm -hmm. um i feel like you know and there was a lot of you know duran duran and echo and the Bunnymen and stuff like that uh coming over which you know i was into when i was a little younger um I have to say, I don't really remember what the hell it was. I remember listening to the Sex Pistols. Like, I remember that being like, okay, something's, this is different. Um, and then basically, I just felt myself drawn to the Lower East Side. I don't know what to say. I would take the bus in. I lived in the suburbs. Um, I just kept walking further east. <laughs> and then, you know, once I went to my first matinee, that, that was it, pretty much. I was just totally, and my first matinee, I think, was the mob um cause for alarm oh. and somebody else i don't know who else i just know oh maybe no maybe the chromags it's possible what a triple bill <laughs> even yeah, right? two of them is an incredible show so um <laughs> but like one thing that kind of comes up time and time again uh, about new york especially during that time period is that how dangerous the lower east side was like you know there's the it's the alphabet right a you're a-okay, be very yeah. careful, see, like, you know, like that. So as a young person, that must have been, was it scary to go down there or was it thrilling? Like, so yeah, I mean, it was kind of both. It was both. It felt very alive. Let's mm. put it that way. And, um, and very, a little bit wild westy, you know, like a little bit like we were on our own, uh, you know, yeah, it was pretty wild, but I kind of liked that. And I kind of like, if I'm honest, and I kind of like the whole, um, you know, feeling like it was our park, you know, Tompkins <laughs> Square, you know, and um, and just sort of, you know, I mean, I was obviously very naive suburban girl just wandering in there. But um, it's funny. I've been thinking a lot about how we all do you remember that ridiculous book, um, Clan of the Cave Bear? No. What is okay, it? It was like, I think it was like a women's book. It was like a, you know, basically it was all about how the people you meet in your life, you meet them for a reason kind of thing. And like, you recognize each other from being from the same tribe. And, you know, I used to go to therapy and all that. And they used to say like, why do you keep dating your father? And I was like, really, is it that simple? I don't understand. But all of this just to say, now the people who are still alive from that time are all writing books. And it's just shocking to me what we all had in common. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think it was Nicole Panther. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. 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 No, me either. Sorry. I, I just meant like, it's not like we knew it or talked about it necessarily, but I feel like we, we all found each other for a reason. Yeah. Like I forget who said it even on the show, but there's someone that brought up the fact that New York, especially New York, like New York hardcore at that time, like it was really like the, the, the Island of lost kids. Like it's like a bunch of kids that were like finding each other. And it's really like a, young people that are building this whole scene like it, people that come on keep remarking about the fact that it was like young a really yeah. young punk scene yeah and when i look through the photographs now it's it's shocking because yeah. you know that thing of like when you get older and like the people who were older than you always still seem older but then yes. when you're their age you're like wait that person in this photo is older than me now but i still <laughs> can't see that 
Um, <laughs> there's something about looking back at these photos where I'm like, oh my God, Jimmy Gestapo is like 10. You know, I mean, he's not 10, but he yeah. looks it. It's um, And no one has, tat you know, there's like one or two tattoos and then they start getting more and more. So uh, yeah, we were very young. It's kind of shocking when I look at it. And I have an 18 year old daughter, you know, I was like almost out of the scene by that age, mm -hmm. which is like, wow, okay. It's that's funny. I, I've got three kids myself and like my youngest is at or my sorry, my oldest is at the age now where he would just be starting to go to shows or get interested in going to shows like like mm -hmm. like I was at his age. And it just seems like so unfathomable. Isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, it's just I, like the idea. I was interviewing someone last night who was 11 when he started playing in punk bands. Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine that now. Like, it just seems like it just seems like a completely different world. Who was that? Uh, it was uh, Jason from Verboten. Oh, yeah. He was in yeah. um, Verboten. He plays with Bob Mould and he plays okay. with Super Chunk and things like that. But he played in Verboten when he was 10 years old. Yeah, I mean, show. that's that is hard to imagine, isn't it? Very much. It's well, it's also Steve McDonald. When he was on the show from Red Cross, he was kidnapped by the woman he was, quote unquote, dating, who was 22 when he was 12 years old. Oh, dear Jesus. It's, it, I think that, like, you know, it's obviously can have a lot of positive things, but the the reality is also like you've got a lot of young people mixing with older people, uh, for better or for worse, a lot of times too. Like in yeah. punk, like it comes up, it's a lot of positive things can come out of that, but also certainly it's not hasn't been unsaid that there's been terrible things that have come out of that too. So it's a it's such a weird nexus point for everyone to be meeting. Totally, and I have to say I do feel very lucky to have survived. Um, because I, you know, now that I'm a mom, I always think of how my mom used to like plant this propaganda in my brain. <laughs> she would say, she would always say to me, I know you're pragmatic. So no matter what, you're going to make the right decision. She like repeated that to me. And meanwhile, <laughs> I just don't think, I mean, there's no way she had any idea what I was actually into, you know? Yeah. Um, right. So yikes. Were, were they aware of it? Did they get freaked out? Because like it was getting media coverage, like the New York hardcore kid thing, right? Like it was on the cover of the New York magazine, New Yorker magazine, maybe even. And yeah, and then a, we all Regis, went on the Donahue show. The Donahue show. And, yeah. the, and then there's also the Regis Philman had Warzone on too early on. <laughs> like it was a media kind of like talking point, how scary it was for kids, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. And I remember my dad had a friend who you know, worked in the sex crimes unit of the NYPD. And he would always say things like, you know, I've heard about that Danceteria club, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> you know, it just made it all cooler. Cause what can I say? Yeah. I <laughs> Had you been to any concerts before going to that first matinee? Like concerts at all? Like, like concerts period to even prepare you for like the live music experience. Oh yeah, I mean, I did go to a lot of um, the Peppermint Lounge and Danceteria shows. You know, I did see, I saw U 2s first show at the Pier, awesome. you know, in in America for show. And uh, and my very first concert was dun, 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 the Eagles, Heart, and the Little River Band. Well, that's a pretty good bill. That's a you know, not quite mob cause for alarm, Chromags, but certainly on another level. <laughs> You yeah, know? it didn't really prepare me in any way for the no. first matinee, but um, yeah, that was my first concert. And I saw The Clash a lot, too. I was a big Clash fan. So, so. you were already kind of like a, you know, like obviously not a hardcore kid, but you're already a punk rocker by the time you're making this journey to the Lower East Side. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I wore garbage bags and, you know, shaved my head because my hair was falling out because I dyed it so many times. And my mom kept saying, you keep dyeing your hair, it's going to fall out. So, you know, she couldn't be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only natural that that scene would also birth manic panic hair dye. Yes, and it's still around. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing when you kind of think about the people that were in these rooms where there's not tons of people, yet all these people wind up doing kind of like interesting and wide-reaching things throughout culture, including inventing hair dye. Yeah, yeah, there you uh, go. What were some of your favorite bands early on? Well, Bad Brains, for sure. Mm. Like, oh, once I saw them, I mean, and to this day, I don't know that I've ever seen any live show, like some of those early Bad Brains shows. Um, Agnostic Front, definitely. Um, Chromags. Cause for Alarm, like I said. Uh, Cause for Alarm, for sure. Had a huge crush on Shiruki. Um, and uh, what else? What else? I mean, I know I'm forgetting bands here. Scared Straight, probably? Did you see Scared Straight? 
I did not see Scared Straight. I don't okay. know Scared Straight. Oh, not Scared Straight. Sorry. Oh, my God. That's that's my blasphemy on my part. Straight ahead. Straight. Oh, yeah. Tommy. I mean, because, you know, I lived with Alexa, who ended up having um, a child with Tommy. And it was and Alexa was this hot punk rock chick. Um, still is. And uh, <laughs> and used to love to try to get the straight edge boys. That was like her goal. <laughs> and let me tell you, she got him. <laughs> so there. It it feels like it would have been, you know, like ideologically, like you bring it up there, like the fact that you have straight edge people interacting with people that are, you know, like Jimmy Gestapo, Murphy's Law, people that are decidedly not straight edge. Like it feels like it was kind of like an interesting nexus once again for like people with different ideas about what it means to be a young person. Yeah, yeah, and I I feel I mean at least in my experience we all did sort of get along for the mm -hmm. most part. So mm -hmm. yeah. did you take were any of your photos pure in fanzines back then? No, no, a couple of, po you know, a couple of, you know, like I took the picture of ultraviolence that they always used on the flyer. And um, yeah, there were a couple of flyers that ended up with my photos. But no, it's funny that I didn't, no one seemed to care about my pictures until, you know, whatever, 15 years ago when I was moving and I found a box of them, literally, and showed them to a friend. And he was like, uh, can I show these to somebody? <laughs> um so yeah, I don't, uh, I, 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 you know, I took pictures for bands. I worked on a cover for the Cro-Mags that didn't come out, uh, didn't exactly work, but. Uh, well, what yeah. was on that cover? What was that cover supposed to be? Oh my God, it's hilarious. I found it recently. It's like, um, in the foreground is a cemetery. And in the background, you know, with these tombstones is the New York City skyscrape, you know, skyscape. <laughs> That sounds so awesome. Oh, you like it. All right. Well, there I got to go. see it. Well, it's such an iconic cover to think like how these little things could have changed history. I would have loved to see that cover. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Right? Maybe they would have all gotten along and been together today had I <laughs> had that been a record cover. Yeah. No, it uh, could have. Yeah. It could have changed the course of music history forever if they had used <laughs> <Yeah>. that cover. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, well. <laughs> but it does. You bring up a great point that at a lot of the stuff that you're doing just as part of course, like you're just taking these snapshots of your friends at the time. And it's amazing how years later, these things carry such historical weight. Yeah. And I keep reminding my, Oh God, the dogs are going crazy. Um, I keep reminding myself that as a parent too, that some of these things I might judge like them being on their goddamn phones all day long and all night long, you know, that there might be something there that I don't understand, you know, that, might turn into something good for them yeah uh, yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah no that's that's definitely i think that's probably the, the only thing i can really take away from my experience being involved in like this kind of music as a young person is that it means nothing to the vast majority of people but to me it was everything so when my child's flipping out about missing a minecraft tournament trying to put that in that perspective like for me this would be like missing out on some shitty band that only put out a demo tape that my parents did not care about in one <laughs> It's like that, like just trying to put in those terms, you're exactly right, because who knows what this stuff's going to be looked back. Who knows how they're going to look back upon this chapter of their lives years later? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, what the hell? I don't know anything. I know less and less as I get older and I'm more and more comfortable with it. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's the uh, that's the reassuring part about getting older is just realizing that you, you're going to know less and less like they're culturally reassessing Limp Bizkit right now. And, and people are like being like, well, Limp Bizkit's not that bad. And I'm like, well, I know I'm getting old because there's yeah. no way I can be on board for this cultural reassessment. Yeah, I was like, please don't ask me how I feel about Limp Bizkit. Oh, I'm not I wouldn't. <laughs> okay, good. No, no. I think we're more more back to the ultraviolence talk here on the show. Because exactly. yeah. the other thing that always surprises me is is that the fact that you mentioned that there's not a lot of conflict and people are getting along. And I brought this up to a lot of people here is the fact that you have such extreme political views all seemingly coexisting and that doesn't happen in other scenes like it does in new york yeah that's actually a really good point and i don't think there's i mean everything's so polarized now right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i mean i guess there are those who f might feel like we weren't all so united but uh in my experience it, it just felt like we were fine you know like fine you're straight edge that's okay you know i guess maybe we draw the line at the nazi skinhead thing yeah. but uh for yeah. the most part you know and a lot of things that were done i think uh in that department were for shock value obviously so um you but know even ideologically like the fact that you've got on like the way it is comp you've got 
Nausea, and then you also have YDL, like these two bands that couldn't have more different worldviews. Exactly. Yet everyone seems to be able to kind of get beyond that and be there for the music in New York. Like, obviously, as you're saying, there are conflicts that do, especially later, really spring up. But it's always fascinated me that it was just like a bunch of, like you're saying, these kids that needed it so badly that they were able to kind of like put up with the shit just to be there. Yeah. And, you know, I was also thinking about, again, the social media technology thing of today and how I don't think that scene could have ever happened if that was how it was now. Because we didn't have phones. You couldn't call somebody. If I wanted to find John or Harley, I, I knew where to go. You know, I had yeah. to go to the park or go down to, you know, whatever it was. Uh, you had to go in person. I mean, I did know the, the payphone number of St. Mark's and A payphone. Uh, <laughs> and nine times out of ten, if you would call that number, you know, Frenchie would answer or somebody you would know yes. would answer. <laughs> Unless, of course, you were paging for drugs at that payphone at that moment. Um, yeah. So I just feel like we all just like had to show up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it, and it is. It's interesting now where like the idea of being bored and sitting around and waiting for something to happen doesn't seem like something people would want. And I'm saying not just young people. I mean, even myself as an adult, like the idea of like, just I'm just going to go sit around this club and hope that I run into someone that I know for the yeah. whole afternoon like people just don't do that anymore yeah yeah and i mean i guess there's good things about that but mm -hmm. maybe maybe something's missed i don't know well it's like the idle hands can either provide the devil's play thing or like this incredibly fruitful creative outlet depending yeah. on whose hands they are at any given time yeah yeah totally were did you ever try and do bands yourself Playing did bands? i ever try to be in bands yeah yes i did and i sucked and uh and you know i had issues what can i say that i clearly couldn't work through i you know there's just too many strings on the guitar my fingers don't fit okay i know and, uh you know i tried bass i i i guess i would say i played bass but not really and um none of the bands ever really went anywhere so nothing to report about did you play live ever um, I sang back up a couple times for a band called Modern Clicks in New York. So Modern that was Clicks, cool. you stumped me. Did they put out a record? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. And um, God, I feel once again humiliated on knowing this. Oh no, but it wasn't really hardcore. It was kind of a weird mix of yeah, I don't know, reggae, hardcore, but not Bad Brains. You know, not like that. Hmm. Um, so it's that's the other thing you bring up there. Like New York, everything's going on, especially at that time. Like you've got obviously this New York hardcore scene um with you know straight edge stuff and all that stuff kind of part of it but then you also have like this new york kind of noise rock scene that i guess media would call the pig fuck scene for a while but like swans and sonic youth and pussy galore oh yeah you've got like it feels like just like a bunch of different like micro scenes also happening at the same time like it's a really just incredible period for music yeah it really was and i'm hopeful for new york now for the first time in a while because uh the last sort of 15 years when I go back, I don't recognize it, you know? Mm. It's like like my ex-husband who only likes rich people now or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's like, it's weird. Uh, but then of course this pandemic happened and I was there in February and ooh, that was weird, really weird to be there. Um, so I don't know, maybe it'll be reborn? I don't know, I'm not sure. But it, But back when I was a kid, you know, you could live in a squat, you could have no money and live in New York. Uh, but I don't know how much you can do that now. Yeah. Someone was telling me uh, just recently, I was speaking to someone this weekend and they were like, New York at that time period was full of people that wanted to be there. Like, and it was, it was like, you had to want to be there to make it work Yeah. either, but it was cheap enough that if you were there, you could afford, like you're saying, to make great art. Cause like rent was super cheap or there's a squad or something like it just, yeah, you could find a way. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting to think of these scenes needing space, cheap space to flourish. Like that's, I guess why it eventually goes to the Brooklyn waterfront for a time period before that gets kind of redeveloped into everything going away. But you need those spaces for this stuff to kind of expand. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot. I, I remember for a while, like feeling like, well, maybe Detroit's next. Mm. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> genuinely, like where yeah. can anyone young go and afford to live, you know? Yeah, like, and it also feels like a lot of it happens now, like you're saying with, with our kids, like it happens a lot of it online. And there's a lot of people that have come on the show that are, you know, kind of 
coming up in the last 10 years that almost kind of talk about a decentralized scene where they're just meeting people. It's obviously very different, but like they're meeting people online and collaborating that way just because there isn't necessarily the spaces for them to meet up like there used to be. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Like my daughter's into anime, my youngest. Uh, so she goes online and finds all these little communities of people who are into what she's into. So mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. has, you, has anything come out of that musically so far? There's this, uh, I, I, I had this guy on uh, a couple, I guess two years ago, that's part of this goth boy clique, which mm -hmm. is uh, sort of like emo trap music. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, you know, like emo drive music combined with hip hop. So mm -hmm. it's, um, but it's, it's something completely new. And once again, like all these people, he was part of like a much more conventional punk hardcore scene but met people in California that were kind of doing the same sort of thing and made people in Virginia that were kind of doing same, the same sort of thing. And all of them kind of ended up building like a completely virtual scene out of it. And it's, it's amazing to kind of watch it flourish. Like, you know, I might not understand it because it's not necessarily what I came up with, but at the same time, it is people taking the tools at their, their hands and building something new with it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. I find that so inspiring, especially like the stuff that, you know, you're, you're involved with back then too. It's like a bunch of kids that a lot of times had nothing too, and are, are building something out of nothing. Yeah. And totally doing it for themselves, like not to get rich, not to get famous, none of that, just the authenticity of it all, I think is what, what drew me in. So. I think maybe that's the thing that's changed is that maybe there's there the possibility of fame is always present now because it why does everyone want to be famous because it's i i don't know i guess because it seems fun <laughs> it's fun yeah <laughs> it seems fun because you only get because now especially you get this hyper curated version of it through instagram of what it's like to be a famous person where you're like oh this is amazing like oh, all i'm right. seeing is the best parts of their lives right i see yeah yeah I, I have that too. I guess it's like being rich. Like I imagine being rich, like sounds great to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no problems. Like once yeah. it comes, it's yeah. like uh, willing to try. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the thing was also with fame is that it became tangible. Like it was like, you know, the idea of like, at one point, like, you know, the struggle to get into film, like I can't imagine the struggle to get into film, but now you could just do something really stupid and take a photograph of yourself and it can go viral and you could become famous yeah. to a segment of the population that way. Yeah. I mean, that's how Justin Bieber started, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> or jackass, you know, like the, uh, yeah. you don't even have to worry about singing. Like if you can take enough pain, there'll be someone that's going to watch your video. <laughs> you can yeah. probably find a way. Yeah. Don't try this at home folks. Yeah, yeah. no, no. Yeah. But once again, all those jackass guys coming to punk rock too. So they were just doing something, I guess, with uh, the tools at their disposal as well. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, it's Steve O was a big fan of Gorilla Biscuits and the Chrome oh, okay. as All well. Right. So, um, I read an interview with you where you talked about coming out of New York hardcore and getting into films, like you almost like a transition period. So, that what period does that happen in like 91, 90? Um, yeah, I mean, it was even a little earlier, I think, because, um, you know, I'm so bad with years, it's ridiculous. You'd think I would know the year I graduated high school. I think it was 86 um, and you know, some things happened in my life then, like my brother died. Uh, so so that was kind of a big, it was, he, it was a surfing accident. It was just a freak kind of thing. Uh, but that very radically obviously changed uh, my life. So um, I think between that and, uh, and you know, you're 18, you're 19, you're like, oh, I gotta figure out what the hell I'm doing with my life. So uh, I just kind of segued more into music although i did go to the american i mean into acting sorry uh i went to the american academy of dramatic arts for a year and i remember them being like you know trying to homogenize how i looked because i was a fat you know punk rocker and they were like yeah you're not gonna work a lot so which is true <laughs> but still um yeah so i would say sort of end of the eight yeah end of the 80s beginning of the 90s is when i kind of went went to act because obviously New York goes through a, like a, an amazing transition period around like the end of the eighties into the nineties, where people talk about it here, like the music changes. A lot of people talk about violence coming in. There's ABC No Rio opens up. Could you see that stuff beginning to happen 
already at that point, or is it still? So they said what violence came in? Which violence? There's a, well, CBD CBGBs eventually stops doing the matinee shows because they said there's mm-hmm. too many fights, and ABC mm-hmm. No Rio opens up, um, which is like mm-hmm. the DIY space, and it's oh yeah, no, I, I remember, I, I yeah. went to a lot of shows there, yeah. And it's always said that it opens up in response to kind of violence that was happening in the scene of the time, and and a lot more fights were beginning to happen around then, oh. and that this was like a separate scene that almost stand in it stands in opposition in a way to the older scene. And it's, it's funny because people that weren't part of the CBGBs or weren't part of, sorry, the ABC no Rio scene that have come on the show have talked about uh, having resentment towards it and feeling like they were never, never, they didn't belong there or that it wasn't their scene at all as well. So it feels like it goes almost both ways that there's a, a divide that kind of comes in to New York hardcore around, you know, 91. 90. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was I was moving out of it then by then because mm-hmm. I knew people who worked at ABC No Rio and uh, and I don't really remember that. I if anything, I remember you know more violence uh, when it was when I was younger, earlier, you know. But that was like gang stuff in the neighborhood, literally. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of crossing over with us in the park there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there were always people who would just show up at matinees and, you know, slam dance, you know, and they didn't know what it was or, you know, so, yeah, I guess maybe that stuff did get worse, huh? From what I hear, once again, I'm like looking at it from a distance and stuff like mm-hmm. that and just trying to put, that's why I love doing this show is because I feel like every time I'm in a class and I'm just trying to put more and more pieces together of this giant punk rock puzzle that's kind of yeah, like you're an that. investigator yeah exactly. i really feel like if i could have applied myself to anything else i could have maybe cured a disease or done something <laughs> really important for this world because i really do spend a lot of time studying this stuff for some reason you do what you love yeah and i think it's so fascinating too that it's like you know once again i'm ultimately obsessed by the music that was made by teenagers but at the same time like it is music that change the world and like you're saying there's no aspirations of commercial fame there's no aspirations of this leading to anything and there it's people are doing it because they feel like it's a necessity for them to do it to express themselves and get this out there and yeah i just find it so fascinating yeah and it's i've been thinking about it a lot too because my 18 year old has been stuck in the house for the past year and a half and and physically like i can see this like angst and this like you know she's got to get it out you know like i don't i don't know where how she's gonna she doesn't i don't know how she is gonna do that but i mean just going to a matinee you could just kind of exhaust yourself just get it all out you know yeah, yeah no i i went last weekend i went to new york and i saw negative approach play oh and, right on and just like you know it was a very small show with 20 people there everyone's distance and stuff like that but even just I wasn't even moshing, but just even moving around again, just feeling that kind of release happen. And obviously it won't be the same for my kids because they don't necessarily like that kind of music, but there has to be something that kind of lets you get rid of that, I don't know, tension, like that uh, yeah, yeah. existential dread, like yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. It's funny, a few years back, I don't know how many years, again, I'm terrible with years. Um, I went to Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds. I've loved him for many years and I brought my daughter and uh, there was a moment when we could like push through and get to the front and I was like, come on, let's go, let's go. And we're like, (laughs) I'm thinking she was probably maybe 13. (laughs) And, you know, and then once we got up front, it it got a little iffy in moments, you know, and I just thought, oh, shit, this is my kid. Um, my baby she, she held her own she did fine and then and then I'm I don't know what is making me think of this and then like I don't know maybe 10 years ago I went I took my husband to see uh AF at the Roxy you know and Roger and Vinny were like you know come backstage so I was like okay and I just felt like a little old lady you know like walking through the pit you know <laughs> excuse me excuse me with my big old purse you know and they looked at me like wait what are you doing here and, you know anyway but- but that's the that's the thing about this music is that it is almost that Neverland thing where you can have young people still losing it to Agnostic Front, you know? Because yeah. It, it, I don't know. It's yeah. So it doesn't seem as it doesn't age in the same way as other stuff does. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's true. It's funny. And then recently, my daughter said to me that she was at a party and she said, uh, "You know, this girl saw my shirt because she has my old Bad Brains shirt. Thank you very much." Oh my god. And, uh, and she said, and the girl was like, my dad was best friends with HR. And I was like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take it easy. 
so funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, it, it, unless you were there and actually saw it, you know, you just have to go with the legend. And there's not, it wasn't as documented as other scenes. That's why I think the, the photographs yeah. that you have and the, the oral history is so important because if we just go by the printed record, bands like Ultraviolence would be lost to the sands of time because they didn't, they were on just a couple comps. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I'm glad you know who they are. Oh yeah, no, I definitely, they were, I think they're on, they might be on the Toronto, uh, the New York Montreal connection comp, which brings it fully to Canada where I'm at right now. So, right. And wait, are you in, you're in Toronto? I'm in Toronto. Yeah. But I feel like a, a national connection to any punk scene within <laughs> this region, I guess. Right. I got it. Now I'm trying, I always try to remember what the name of the place was when, cause I drove the Cro-Mags up to Montreal for their first gig ever out of America. What? Um, and I just know Voivod was on the ticket. It was like Voivod and the Cro-Mags. And, um, and when we hit the border, uh, man, they took my entire car apart. They separated us into different rooms and they took the seats out <laughs> of my car. Like, I didn't even know that was possible. And we almost missed the gig. Was it, uh, what was the name of that club? I almost have it. I think I've even seen a flyer for it too, and I'm trying to. Yeah, I don't know. That was such a wild trip. Uh, I'm actually seeing Harley tonight for the first time since I don't know, like I don't know, like what is it, thirty years or something? That's amazing. Yeah, that's gonna be wild. So you used to you drive Chromags around for more than one show, or is it just that one? Oh show? yeah, yeah. I had a big old station wagon, so you know, it's it's not like. Uh, I mean, did they use me? <laughs> Did I drive them around? There was a little bit of a, you know, uh, I remember a standoff at the uh, at the toll booth on the way back from that Canada show where I was like, God damn it, I'm not paying the toll. And we like had to sit there for a few minutes. Everyone like, you know, dug in and found some change, you know, like, come on, guys. Jesus. <laughs> but, you know, that you need the people that are actually doing the logistical work to make this <laughs> exactly. thing function. Thank you. Thank you. Know, you. Absolutely. The, every, anyone that's been in a band knows that without the roadies, it would just be a practice somewhere. That's for damn sure. Yes. That's awesome. You got to write a book book. Like I, I hope know, it's right? not just photos. I hope you got essays in there about all this stuff. Oh God. See, and that's the thing. I'm like, I think I'm toying with the, the whole, I don't want a lot of words in the book. That's the thing. I don't want a lot of words. I like the photos to just, you know, like I'm the one who had, I don't know if this is like common knowledge, but there's a section in my book about the pool party that I had at my house. Uh, that, uh-oh, sorry, my phone is making noise. No, um, do not worry. That um, nausea, war zone, uh, you know, everybody played at my pool party and actually Roger got arrested in my hometown. Um, and On that day? Yes, he never even made it to the gig because he he pulled into my hometown in the van, you know, a bunch of skinheads, and they just pulled him right over and searched the car and by Roger. Well, and so Agnostic Front didn't get to play that show. No, they did not. No. What a show though! War Zone and Nausea at a pool party. Yeah, that's wild. That's amazing. <laughs> So, so I have photos of that in the book, you know, and um, yeah, just whatever. I just had my camera with me. Now everybody has a camera with them all the time, yeah. don't they? Yeah, yeah. No, that's what's changed a lot, right? Like, th that's why these things are so invaluable is because not everyone had a camera. And and once you took the picture, as I know, that's half the battle. The other half is taking it to get developed. I've got so many undeveloped rolls of film. <laughs> oh, you should look at them. Maybe you have like some real gems in there now. Yeah, I, by the time I got into interesting stuff like music, I, I put down the camera completely. I did not have the wherewithal to take photographs. So it would just be like photos of my family pets from when I was younger. So right, nothing, right. nothing too pressing <laughs> for the world of pop culture, I'm afraid. <laughs> but it's it's amazing that like, yeah, like that's, people had the wherewithal to do it. People had the wherewithal to be like, I'm going to document it. And once again, you're not documenting it because there's any hope of getting like 500 likes for that picture on Instagram or whatever the metric is. You're, you're documenting it because you want to hold on to that memory personally because there's no other value to it at the time. Totally. 100%. And I still feel that way. Like, you know, when I'm at shows or whatever, I, I do want to shoot. So I guess I, I guess I like it. So when you started making movies, were you still able to kind of go to concerts? Like what kind of music were you into as you started making film and TV stuff, getting more into acting? Oh God, I change all the time. I was going to ask you what you listen to now. Um, 
because I listen to violence and agnostic front. Really? Really? (laughs) Like nothing else? There's no I I like I'm surrounded by records, but I'd be lying if I pretended for one second it wasn't, you know, punk from all over the world. But um, and and I like I like rap music as well, but I definitely am a student of this game. Yeah, it's funny. I saw Kendrick Lamar a a few years back. Mm -hmm. And I'm not someone who enjoys ginormous, you know, Coliseum type shows, but I found it a kind of a punk rock vibe, I must say. Once he got on stage, there was something going on there that was very uh, interesting and um, alive and authentic. So I don't know. Yeah, I listen to all different kinds of music. Absolutely. There's this band H09909 from New Jersey. Okay. They're like a a rap group, but... um, (laughs) They were, they got into, uh, you know, they were into hip hop and rap music growing up in New Jersey in the neighborhood they grew up in, but then started going to shows at, at, on the Brooklyn waterfront when they were kind of like still having concerts there and like the cake shop and all these like sort of random little pop-up venues. And they saw the Cro-Mags play a house of van show and it blew their mind. And they just started incorporating Cro-Mags and bad brains and all these sorts of things into what they were doing musically and kind of created their own thing completely and it's completely a punk vibe when you go and see them live like oh that's so moshing it's it's really yeah it's nice to know that it continues you know that it finds a way to kind of like pass this energy on to the next generation so they can kind of take it and do what they're going to do with it yeah yeah totally um i just thought of like 20 things while you were saying that and they all just went right out of my head (laughs) no i know that feeling there you go oh i know i was thinking about how dc back in the day there was this go-go music Mm mm-hmm do you do you know that music? Trouble Funk and and uh, yeah. some of the other groups, but yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like it was HR who was listening to it because where else would I have heard it from? You know, like mm-hmm. um, and they used to listen. I remember to like Billy Cobham. <laughs> I don't know; these names are just coming back to me like weird. Oh, and Mackie, Mackie, that drummer, you know. Yeah, absolutely. He, he used to listen to Billy Cobham a lot. Um, he was in Fun Loving Criminals after uh, the Chromax. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I missed all that. I'll take your word for it. Well, Fun and Loving Criminals had that hit song, Riding Around, Robbing Banks, All Whacked Out on Scooby Snacks. It was like oh, a right. Busbin clip video later on, too. But it's, uh, and actually, it's, Mackie's fascinating because he was one of the people that kind of integrated graffiti and hip hop into the hardcore scene really early on with Frontline, like his one of his first bands and yeah, a big graffiti writer. So yeah, once again, a very fascinating character. All these people you're bringing up, like I'm just- You gotta get him on the show, get him on the show. My friends, uh, my friends played in the John Mags with him for a long time, and I got him to ask him, and he has no interest. I don't think he likes the term punk rock, so I think that was his. That is hilarious. Well, it is a little overused these days, isn't it? It is. Unfortunately, it is. But that's what's amazing about it. Everyone defines it as something completely different, you know? For one yeah. person, it's uh, one thing, and for other people, it's Gigi Allen. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Was he, he was in New York kind of around then, right? He sure was, yeah. And I remember going to some show somewhere and standing way in the back. (laughs) I was like, okay, I kind of want to see what's going on here, but I don't want to be a part of it. So yeah, yeah. I don't really remember much. So there. Everyone who's been on the show that saw him live is always like, yeah, I was standing way at the back. No one, no one's been like, I was up front for that whole thing. Even, yeah, if they were, they're not going to even bring it up, okay? No, no. Poor poor Jay Maskus and Thurston Moore, I think, no-showed the show, but Jay Maskus actually had to play with Gigi Allen. He was like, I was trying to stay as far away from him during the set. I had no idea what it was until we're in the middle of the show. And then he's like, I'm playing guitar, but I'm trying to get to the back of the room on the stage. <laughs> oh <laughs> the whole experience. Yeah. Uh, I read that Jeff Buckley was your roommate. Is that true? Uh, it is true. And it's funny because I thought of him earlier and I was thinking uh, how much he wanted to see the Bad Brains live or wow. Bad Brains. I shouldn't say the. Um, <laughs> and he actually at one point flew to some show, like when he had a little bit of money, he flew to some show in Chicago. I think it was Chicago. And and he was like so excited. He was finally going to see him and NHR got arrested. I think he he hit someone with a mic or something the night before. I don't know what happened, but he never got to see him, which is very sad to me. Oh, that's sad. That's yeah. terribly sad. Like, yeah. was that in New York that you? That he was my roommate? Yeah, yeah, I met him in LA. I had come to LA. This is again, crossover. Like I had already done Silence of the Lambs. I was staying in the Magic Hotel. 
um, which is next door to the one where Janis Joplin died, um, like kind of these two sketchy motels in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he was the concierge. She was the front desk guy. <laughs> and he had like, long black hair and, you know, and he kept talking about New York, New York, New York. I just want to go to New York. And, and you know, we became friends. And then I was like, dude, I haven't, I have a sort of bedroom, an extra bedroom if you want to come and like live with me. So he did. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's also amazing that he was into the bad brains. I yeah, well, that. I mean, anyone who hears them should be. That's true. That's yeah. true. They are definitely like an, almost an evangelical band. I find it also interesting when you talk to those guys about, you know, talking about DC earlier, the difference in their philosophy versus someone like Ian MacKay, where bad brains were like, we had to go out and spread our message to everyone in the world, where Ian MacKay was very much focused on building the scene where he was and then ultimately expands around the world through that. But it's just amazing. These two completely different philosophies and approaches to kind of like a punk rock, but they're both coming from the exact same kind of place and time. Yeah. Yeah. I I never thought of that. That is interesting. Did you get to travel to many other scenes back then? Um, hmm. other than Montreal, of course. Well, DC, I went to a couple of shows down there at the 930 Club. Look at that. I just remembered that. Um, The cobwebs are clearing. (laughs) Uh, Where else did I go? I remember at some point being in LA and, you know, having friends in New York say, oh, go see my friends in in, um, it wasn't LA. It was San Francisco. But I don't remember seeing any shows. So I guess the answer is no. Not really. Maybe Boston. I think I saw a couple of gigs in Boston. It feels like New York's just so different in how it was taken up. Were you able to perceive that when you're going to these other places, like comparing it to what the scene you're kind of coming out of in New York at that time? Yeah, but I was like New York proud, so we were the yeah. best, you know. So yeah. it's like, oh, you poor scene. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah. a reason it's almost become like a, a separate brand of itself mm. in hardcore. You know, like NYHC is like, a, it's almost like a trademark name at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. Cause I, I, I kind of feel ownership to that one more than I do CBs now because of the whole, you know, store at the airport. At the thing. airport. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I wanted to go eat there one time, but I didn't have enough time to make the flight. But I was also like, is this like the ultimate sellout move to eat at the CBGB's restaurant in New York? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, but once again, like, you know, not to keep harping on this thing, but it's amazing where these things go, where even this club that just hosted these shows is now so storied that people are willing to look past the famous urine smell and dog shit smell that it had and put a restaurant with its name on top of it. I know, exactly. It just makes perfect sense, right? Like, think of CB's bathroom. What would you want? A sandwich? Sure, (laughs) why not? (laughs) No one has been on this show and talked about the amazing smell that venue had. You know, it's definitely yeah. the thing yeah. that always is brought up is how bad it smelled in the early days, especially because Healy had his dog there still pooping around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just remember sweat and heat, you know? Yeah. I remember yeah. that kind of sensory, like, oh, just being exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been a thrill of a lifetime. And anytime, Brooke, you want to come back here and get punished more about this New York hardcore stuff, when your book comes out, will you please come back here? Oh, yes, please. And I've really got to finish it. I promise I will. It's the same guys who put out um, Drew Carolyn's book, Matinee. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that, uh, you know, somewhere below 14th and East or whatever. Um, yeah. So we just, I just got to finish the damn thing. It's Radio Rahim, it. Radio Rahim Records yes, with yes. Fat Rich and Chris Minicucci. Yeah, those guys. Yep. Two buddies of mine used to stay oh, on good. Fat Rich's floor in Philadelphia and then New York. And Chris I've stayed with many times. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, as soon as I talked to those guys, I knew they were the ones. Like there was like a sort of fancy place asking me. And I was like, eh, no. So. No, those guys get it like in a way that they, they, they see the weight, the cultural weight of this stuff. And I think what they're doing with their label, I haven't talked to them in years about it, but I think what they're doing with their label is really kind of serving this stuff and kind of giving it its proper place in history. And my God, the photos I've seen from your archive are ridiculous. I can't wait to see the rest. This pool party alone. Holy shit. Right. <laughs> Hilarious. All right. Well, I'll definitely come back and I'll definitely make sure you get a copy of the book somehow. So. Thank you, Brooke, for coming on the show. And I'm going to hold you to that. Brooke will be back when this incredible book comes out and that will be out on Radio Raheem Records or books, I guess, 
hopefully some point in the near future because, uh, yeah, fantastic job. And check out all the stuff that Radio Raheem does. They put out some awesome books. Drew Carolyn, who was on the show way back when, when his book came out, and they've done uh, a, a really cool book recently of Midwest sort of ephemera from the hardcore scene. So, yeah, check out all that stuff. And, oh, cannot wait for Brooke to come back. How <laughs> mind-blowing is that? That's why we do this podcast. And if you're looking for Brooke, you can find her on Instagram at the real Brooke Smith, and you can find her on Twitter at I am underscore Brooke Smith. And again, you've seen her in many, many different things, but Grey's Anatomy, Ray Donovan, Bates Motel, most recently Big Sky and them, uh, an incredible actor and what an amazing documentarian of hardcore. All right. So that is it uh, for this week's episode coming up next. Another incredible guest, uh, Nancy Burrell, will be here. She has written a fantastic book, Not Holding Your Coat, and I strongly recommend picking up this book and reading it. It is an amazing account, and my gosh, this is a really fun guest. We go uh, deep about the differences between scenes and and just all the kind of, you know, all the kind of minutia that we love here on this podcast. I'm excited for you to hear this one, and that is coming up in a few short days. i got to get to work. All right. Well, that is it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. And we need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths and just knock all this shit out. As we say, these aren't political issues. These are just human rights issues. People deserve to be free and and live their lives without, you know, dealing with bullshit. Um, So, you know destroy fascism, uh, you know, and then we can talk about, you know, politics, like, you know, funding the post office better and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for your organs, you don't need them, you know, just give them to someone else, just literally dead weight in your body that you're lugging around at that point. Uh, do something creative for yourself, make a zine, start a podcast, take some photographs, take, take photographs of your friends. Cause look at Brooke, Brooke's an actor. She's done all this incredible stuff, uh, you know, in on screen and TV and stuff. But also, look at these photos that she was just taking for herself back then. End up becoming huge historical important documents to people like me, at least. But you know, so go take some photos, draw a picture. Who knows? It might it might be important. But if, if if nothing else, it will help you mentally. I think it does for me at least doing something creative. Speaking of helping mentally, try meditating. You know, it works. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I didn't believe in it. Maybe it'll work for you too. Who knows? Get, get your vax. Just might as well do it. Cause, uh, we want to start going to shows again. Wear a mask, be safe, be smart. Um, take care of your friends. Uh, and that's it. Uh, I guess I'll, I want to see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening and, uh, have a good week. Or a couple days. I'm going to be talking to you in a couple days. Not even a week. I might not even go to bed now. I might just start working on the next podcast. Ah, Who am I kidding? I love it. All right. Thank you for listening.